the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, there is so much to discuss going on right now, one hardly knows where to begin. But we observe this as something big, affecting some 50 million children and their family, commences in earnest. The new school year. Some will say it's fun just eating the popcorn as they watch all the misery from COVID lockdowns and shutdowns meld their destruction on society. But right now, it's the lament over fallen math and reading scores, wiping out 20 years of slow but steady progress in numeracy and literacy that should be taken more seriously than just sitting back and watching as we skeptics of shutdowns and lockdowns were proven true, correct, telling the truth and being right. And you read these quotes from quote unquote experts saying, well, we were all wrong when it came to how the students are faring. The familiarity of that refrain, we were all wrong, struck me as I recall the same statement from the political chattering class about the 2016 election when Donald Trump won. But I'm sorry, no, we were not all wrong. Some of us got it right and were shunned and censured and censored. You have heard of teachers unions a year ago saying learning loss is a myth. You have teachers on record saying they are not being paid to die by going into a classroom. You have Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers today writing in the Wall Street Journal, quote, you refuse to listen to the teachers who gave their all to help students and families weather a global pandemic that killed a million Americans and orphaned 200,000 kids. No teacher I know enjoyed remote and hybrid learning, which pre-pandemic was championed by Betsy DeVos. Not one teacher relished teaching art class via Zoom to 40 pupils, 20 of them in a classroom and 20 of them at home, close quote. Well, if we could change our founding date from 1776 to 1619, we can certainly change the history of 2020, can't we? Here's a headline from the Washington Post in July of 2020, right before the new school year in the first year of COVID. Quote, Washington Post headline, quote, Trump and DeVos want schools fully open, but not many are listening. Close quote. In that story, you get this sentence, quote, the administration has been backed up by the American Academy of Pediatrics, which recommends that all schools try to open fully, citing the academic and social-emotional damage done when children miss school. But on Friday, the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, in a joint statement with teachers' unions and superintendents, said that schools in areas with high levels of COVID-19, the disease caused by the novel coronavirus, should not be compelled to reopen against the advice of local experts, close quote. Got that? The American Academy of Pediatrics, in league and from pressure by the teachers' unions, changed course and said schools and areas with high levels of transmission should stay closed. 
The terms of art are important because Weingarten et al. will focus on, quote, just the areas of high transmission, close quote. Well, guess what? That was 99% of the schools in America. Literally 99%. You had the release last year of information garnered from a Freedom of Information Act request showing how Weingarten pressured the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, to keep the schools closed. The language from the AFT was incorporated verbatim, verbatim into the CDC advisory on keeping schools closed in 2020. Today, Weingarten blames or tries to blame the Trump administration. As I say, the fixed headline on all this would be pyromaniac laments burnt ashes. And this was not just Randy Weingarten and the AFT, the head of the Los Angeles Teachers Union, the largest or maybe second largest school district in the country, said learning loss was a myth last year. Quote, there's no such thing as learning loss, close quote, Cecily Mayart Cruz told Los Angeles Magazine. Our kids didn't lose anything, she said. Quote, it's okay that our babies may not have learned all their timetables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup, close quote. Immediately, a lot of parents might think, we send our children to school not to learn survival and resilience, but exactly that which the head of the union dismisses out of hand as their job, i.e. reading and times tables. That's why we send our kids to school, not to know the difference between an insurrection and a coup, which will be a politically motivated answer in any event. But I give you our teachers' unions today. Teaching is their business, but not the kind of teaching we think about. They all think they are sociologists and supposed to be teaching not the basics, but social activism. As the chairman of the Florida Board of Education recently wrote in the Wall Street Journal, the AFT website describes Randy Weingarten as, quote, an active member of the Democratic National Committee who advocates, quote, equity, quote, sustainability and, quote, student debt cancellation. The website boasts that, quote, Weingarten led the AFT's efforts to oppose Trump and to stand up to the administration's racist policies and attacks on facts and democracy, close quote. The National Education Association shares this partisan zeal. Its website exclaims that President Becky Pringle is a fierce social justice warrior, close quote. Lost is even a pretense that kids deserved an unbiased education. Teachers unions and their apparatchiks are advancing a social agenda while failing kids and blaming Republicans. Earlier this summer, let us not forget the NEA held their annual conference in Chicago. Their materials revealed sentences like this, quote, The NEA will publicly stand in defense of abortion and reproductive rights and encourage members to participate in rallies and demonstrations, lobbying and political campaigns, educational events and other actions to support the right to abortion, close quote. That, quote, NEA is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks who will fight against these attacks on our members and the reproductive rights of all people who are able to, close quote. Who knew public schools were designed to push abortion and that teachers would be in the business of teaching that men can give birth, 
all while they misconjugate sentences. For what it's worth, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, spoke at the convention of the NEA in Chicago and said, quote, NEA, you are extraordinarily effective as a group advocate for change, which is why we know that you have been able to see the success you have achieved, close quote. A group advocate for change. This is the mission of the teachers unions. It's not about children learning. It's about children learning to be social activists. It's about recruiting children for adult causes. This has been going on since the 1960s, when the ethos of teaching was to make teaching a revolutionary act, as one of the most popular books of the time was entitled. Brazilian Marxist Paulo Ferrer changed modern education and teaching with his book in 1970, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. There he put it that all children in a capitalist society were oppressed, and the role of the teacher was to reveal that and change that. As Saul Stern put it, Pedagogy of the Oppressed mentions none of the issues that troubled education reformers throughout the 20th century or even today. Issues like teaching, testing, standards, curriculum, the role of parents, how to organize schools, what subjects should be taught in various grades, how best to train teachers, the most effective way of teaching disadvantaged students. None of that was in that book. This Ed School bestseller is instead a utopian political tract calling for the overthrow of capitalist hegemony and the creation of classless societies. Teachers who adopt its pernicious ideas risk harming their students, and ironically, their most disadvantaged students will suffer the most because they won't be taught basics. To get an idea of the book's priorities, take a look at its footnotes. Frere isn't interested in the Western tradition's leading education thinkers, not Rousseau, not Piaget, not John Dewey, not Horace Mann, all liberals, not Maria Montessori. Instead, he cites a rather different set of figures. Who knew these were the important educators to listen to? Marx, Lenin, Mao, Che Guevara, and Fidel Castro, as well as the radical intellectuals Franz Fanon, Regis Debray, Herbert Marcuse, and Jean-Paul Sartre, along with Louis Althusser and George Lukács. And no wonder, since Freire's main idea is that the central contradiction of every society is between the oppressor and the oppressed, and that revolution should resolve their conflict. The oppressed are, moreover, destined to develop a pedagogy that leads them to their own liberation. Here, in a key passage, is how Ferrer explains this emancipatory project. Quote, the pedagogy of the oppressed is a pedagogy which must be forged with, not for, the oppressed, whether individuals or people, in the incessant struggle to regain their humanity. This pedagogy makes oppression and its causes objects of reflection by the oppressed, and from the reflection will come their necessary engagement in the struggle for their liberation. And in the struggle, this pedagogy will be made and remade. Close quote. Now you know why so many children are and are encouraged to be some kind of victim. We integrated the schools and started closing the the gap, the learning gap between the various races. So of a sudden, we had to find new oppressions, new oppressors, and new victims. At first, it was men or boys for a while. Toxic masculinity, shaming of boys. Then an interne interesting phenomenon cropped up, cropped up. You don't have to be a boy. 
a boy can be a girl. And thus we gave birth to a new victimology, children born into the wrong sex. And of course, given all the success of integration, we had to double down on the oppression and focus no longer on overt racism like segregation, that is, res- res- re- that is racism you could see and bear witness to, but rather institutional or even implicit bias in racism. You know, racism so bad you could not see it or describe it. It was just there, like the air, which all gave birth to critical race theory. It should come as no surprise that Paulo Ferrer's ideal model of education, the one he cites in his book, was to be found in Mao Zedong's cultural revolution. So who does care, to quote the head of the Los Angeles Teachers Unions, if our children can't read or do math? Not those put in the classroom under the tutelage of modern educational theory, modern being since about 1970. Well, it turns out a lot of people seem to care and that the learning loss that is now discounted and was poo-pooed in 2020 and 2021 is of some serious concern by people who take education seriously and not teaching as a revolutionary activity. I'm fixated on what teaching has become because there are two simultaneous conversations taking place in America about it. If you are part of the unions, all is just fine. It's going great. We are converting students in their thinking and even now in their sex. But if you are a normal adult citizen, you wonder about a few things. Who's going to join our military? How are these revolutionary how are these revolutionized children going to vote? What job will they be trained for? And if you are Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden, you have the solution to the whole thing. Never mind that taxpayers with and without children pay for public education to the tune of $700 billion a year already. We will now cover the costs of post-secondary education by giving $10,000 checks or rewards out to those who cannot find jobs to cover their student loans. And if you are colleges and universities, things are going even better. In fact, better than fine. Despite sitting on endowments worth over $800 billion, citizens from pipe fitters to plumbers to cops to members of the military to construction workers and janitors, they'll pony up the money to pay those $10,000 checks and rewards. In other words, we will all endow the revolution most of us don't want and most of us don't agree with. You know the revolution. It begins with the founder of the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, telling her veteran father that the the flag he proudly flew in front of their home wasn't their flag, that the flag was, in her words, a marker of degradation. She, the young child, told her dad, the veteran father, take the flag down. It doesn't represent us. She was taught better than he. Well, Being proud to serve this country may be degrading to those who hate this country, but it's an awfully successful pedagogy that can teach little girls, their fathers who wore the uniform in the United States and served this country in war, stand for degrading themselves. That may prove a success to the Marxists who run our education system, but if you think about the people who we fought wars for, Americans who love their liberty and people abroad who hate their oppression— It's God bless the USA all day long. But go and try and tell that to someone under the guidance of the scholar who thinks Mao Zedong had it right. I'd like a few people in China to say what so many 
say here, we were all wrong. But they won't. There is no self-doubt in communism, only in democracies. And that's why we're up against it. We ponder and condemn ourselves to death, even creating parades of horribles that don't exist to perpetuate the pondering and the condemnations. The Maoists and those in their service had and have no self-doubt. The, la- the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity, Yeats had it, and the center cannot hold, will not hold. This, he wrote, is how the ceremony of innocence is drowned, and we've ruined the innocence of millions of children. Thus begins another school year. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y Refi. What they are offering up is a fixed, no load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm. They are investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that too. If interested, check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. One of the interesting things I get, and I think a lot of education reformers get, are questions from parents. How do you know if the school your child is attending is a good school? How do you know if it's a good school? Well, there are certainly a lot of online uh, resources like great schools, et cetera, which rate the schools. Um, but, you know, one of the first markers, which I, which is, which has been true for, for a long time, for generations, and why I knew something was rotten in the state of Denmark slash America when we started telling parents they shouldn't show up at school board meetings and when teachers and Joe Biden started saying the children are ours, not the parents when they're in our classroom. I knew something was rotten because one of the first indicators of a good school, never mind a great school, is how much do they welcome parent involvement? Yes, there are a lot of things that make for a good school. Of course, high-quality teachers, teachers that children like, teachers that are committed to their job and love what they do. A great principal, a great principal who supports the teachers, school discipline. All of these things make for a good to great schools. But one of the first is how welcome are the parents? How welcome is the input? How much does the school want to show the parents? That's why and how I knew we were going to be in big trouble when we started seeing this mantra, parents are not welcome. They aren't the parents' kids when they're in our charge. That is the advice I'm going to give to parents right now as you begin your school years. How welcome are you at your children's school? And if you're not, make yourself welcome. You paid for it. I paid for it. In fact, all of us who have kids and don't have kids, we're all paying for it. There should be no free rider problem here. But there is. But you parents, you have the power to change it. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. One of my favorite candidates running for office is Rachel Mitchell. She is our county attorney, the Maricopa County attorney, and um, she is running for election this November. Uh, and I thought the race would become na- a national story, and it has become one. Uh, we'll get into that in a few moments. First, Rachel Mitchell, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Always. Uh, just delighted with the work you're doing and uh, delighted to uh, point people to your website if they want to help out with your campaign. It's an important one. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com. If you can help out, folks, this one is one you want to help out with because the stakes are so Hi, Rachel, uh, you made uh, some big news last week with, um, uh, well, I'll give you the headline and you tell us you tell us what's being done, what, what you're doing here. County attorney Rachel Mitchell wants prison in gun related pleas. Talk to me about what you announced last week. Sure. What? Um, well, the basis for this was we were seeing uh, we've been seeing an uptick in violence. But um, from August the 19th through the 29th, so a 10-day period, we saw 16 homicides in Maricopa County, 15 of which were gun-related. And so what I did was I took the policy that was on the book, and I made it so that it is now something that is not discretionary. It is mandatory prison uh, if somebody uses a gun during the commission of a serious offense, like armed robbery, aggravated assault. Um, And uh, I also included in that misconduct involving weapons. So felons who are in possession of a weapon um, are going to go to prison. Now, this sounds to most people like, wait a minute, that wasn't already being done? It's weird I say that because at the same time, some of the headlines are thinking that you're taking an overtly harsh position here. Well, the common sense of the American people are, or at least the people I've talked to in Arizona are, uh, this wasn't being done? Is this part of the laxity in the enforcement that has led to so many of the revolving door crimes that we're seeing? Well, I think some of it was due to the fact that it was it was left um, any deviations were left at a lower level, mm-hmm. and I have very very competent attorneys that work for me. But uh, any deviations from this policy are now going to be reviewed at senior management level. Good. Um, so it goes from being a presumption to being a a virtual certainty in in these types of cases um, because. And and also the amount of time um, that we're looking at. Do you run into? Thank you for doing this, by the way. A great reform. Uh, do you, do you run into concerns in the community or vested interests in the community about at once being pro Second Amendment, but also tough on these kinds of situations? You can have both, right? You're going after. I suppose the first answer is the difference between law-abiding and non-law-abiding. The difference between someone who drives their car normally and someone who drives their car recklessly, right? Right, and you know, obviously, uh, we have a very strong Second Amendment uh, group in Arizona. I support the Second Amendment. Um, and I've been asked about it, uh, just I think more uh, from people wanting reassurance. And what I would say to them is this in no way infringes on lawful gun owners handling guns appropriately. What this does is it punishes criminals who use guns to commit crimes, and it punishes 
felons who shouldn't have a gun to begin with who are in possession of one. Yeah, this 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 is the this is the kind of reform that is so commonsensical it seems to me you would have you would have uniform support for it. But there is a thing that's kind of hard to explain to the electorate, um, and maybe we can do this on the other side of the break because there was a current uh, a current piece in the Washington Free Beacon about your opponent. It, it's hard to explain to the electorate that there is an advocacy in this country and certainly in Maricopa County. There is an advocacy for people that truly do want lenience. They truly think that it is worse to be hard on criminals than it is to have misplaced compassion, although they wouldn't call it misplaced. They would call it second, mm-hmm. third, fourth and fifth chances. Right. Um, I, I don't know what they would call it, but yes, I think that's a good uh, name for it. Misplaced compassion. All right. Well, let's pick up on that on the other side of this break, if we can. As I said, I knew your race would get national attention soon, uh, especially given uh, your opponent and the common sense that you represent versus the pretty far left leaning positions that your opponent has. Of course, of course, as could be predicted with the support of George Soros's philanthropy, if you can call it that, George Soros's uh, disbursement of money. He is invested. He is invested in ensuring that Rachel Mitchell does not become our county attorney again with the election this November. It is our job to prove him wrong. I'm Seth. She's Rachel. We'll be right back. Rachel Mitchell, our county attorney, is our guest. She is in an election for retaining her position as county attorney this November. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com is her website. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com. If you can help her out, please do. A lot of forces are helping out her opponent. You may know some of those names like George Soros. There's a piece in the Washington Free Beacon out just today talking a little bit about your opponent, Rachel. She, if I can just read from the article, she is now um, making an anti-cop pledge effectively where she is promising to form a special division within her office, your office, to prosecute police shootings and use of force. This move, the story says would put the county attorney at odds with members of local law enforcement with whom the prosecutor's office must regularly cooperate on 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 cases your opponent will take an act with criminals she has already pledged not to prosecute drug related offenses she has pledged to reduce incarceration and she has pledged to push released offenders before trials uh, this is this is this is quite <laughs> quite quite a resume your opponent has, quite a set of pledges and promises. None of them seem to me anti-crime. Your position? Uh, not at all. And and it's just un- unbelievable, uh, the extremism that she's showing. I mean, to, to propose the only change that she's proposed structurally within my office is to develop a unit that's going to target police officers. And yet, when I um, tighten up on criminals who are using guns to commit crimes in the wake of uh, an increase in homicides, oh, that's I'm criticized for that. Yes. <laughs> Basically, I mean, I don't know how to characterize it fairly other than to say she's pro-criminal and anti-cop. Yeah. 
I, I don't know how to characterize it other than that either. And it seems to me if that division were to be created within your office, it seems to me your office would have an awfully hard time working with the cops you need to in not only the arrests, but the prosecution of those who are arrested. It just seems to me we're putting the burden on the wrong party here. Absolutely. You know, we all recognize that there can be a bad apple among police, among prosecutors, et cetera. And Radio hosts, teachers, that. we all got them. We all got them. Right. We all got them. Um, but there's the vast majority of people who do that work, who do prosecution, are good, hardworking public servants. And to just turn against them in their entirety in, the fa- in favor of criminal behavior is just appalling. You know, there is no unit in my office that is, the specialized units are dedicated to looking at types of crime. Yeah. Sex crime, family violence, homicide. This would be the first one that would target individuals, yeah. and that being police officers. Right. Right. Naming a specific profession that they are going after. Rachel, it's right. not as if your office doesn't prosecute. Exactly. And, yeah. and, you know, what message does that send in terms of law enforcement? And then, I mean, there is a reality. Prosecutors and police have to work together. They do the investigation. We prosecute what they submit to us when appropriate. And, you know, when she's asked about this in the article, she refers to being able to walk both sides of that yeah. as, quote, multitasking. Yeah, right. <laughs> let, let me assure you, that multitasking is not going to work. Well, let me ask you this. It's not as if your office doesn't prosecute criminals who may happen to be cops, is it? I right. mean, if a cop does wrong, they're going to face the county attorney's office somehow without needing a special division, just as I assume if a radio host or a teacher commits a crime, they're going to be prosecuted, even though there's no department to investigate, there is no division focused on teachers and radio hosts. Exactly. I, I myself, as, as a, um, I had a, had a case where I did prosecute a police officer for um, sexual abuse, and he was convicted at trial and sentenced to prison. Um, but it was done through the Sex Crimes Bureau, not through the Let's Target Police Officers Bureau. The, 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 the interesting thing about your opponent, too, Rachel, is what she, the hoop she has to jump through in order to get certain endorsements that she wants. So, for instance, she wanted the Planned Parenthood endorsement. To do that, she had to specifically say she would not take an endorsement from police unions. This is a very odd thing for someone who's in the prosecution business, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the vast majority of what our office handles are, you know, crimes involving um, crimes against persons. And so... To turn your back on that, and and all of those cases are investigated by police um, for a type of case that has never even come through the doors of this office is just incredible. Um, And and it's just, you know, I I can't figure it out other than she has very, very little experience ever working as a prosecutor, and that was from Chicago and Chicago. Indianapolis, I think, for a little bit. But, I mean, we see how well it's going in Chicago. And so this is just, she has not been taught um, truly about the criminal justice system. She doesn't understand it.
Rachel, put on your sociology hat for just a moment with me because it's an odd thing. Isn't it an odd thing to see all these candidates running for prosecutorial offices that are taking these kind of um, very left-wing views or shall we say very lax views about law enforcement? And is it what 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 has brought this about? We know how to solve crime. We know how to reduce crime. We look at cities like San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Los Angeles, where it's spiraling out of control, where even the mayors there and the prosecutors there are trying to rethink some of their more lax policies. Is this the culmination of a generation of woke education where they see the prosecutor's office as as the office where they can create the dream palace of the George Soros's and the progressive agenda in America? Is that what they have done with prosecution? They think this is the, the vehicle, this is the lever uh, in which to affect effectuate progressive dreams? You know, what I've found in talking to classes of law students at our uh, law schools within Arizona is that a lot of the students, whether this is because of the education of the law school or something else, um, are focused on prosecutors as nothing more than, you know, the person who puts people away for long periods of time. And when I talk to them about my experience as a prosecutor, I'm like, I'm the prosecutor that walks the five-year-old up to the stand and asks her questions about the worst thing that's ever happened to her. That's right. and, you know, I'm the one that is helping society. But people just don't. It's like we've talked about in the past, Seth. You know, the focus is so much on feeling sorry for the criminal and not right. on focusing on what has happened to a victim. That's right. Misplaced compassion. Misplaced compassion leads to the mm-hmm. situation where those who are um, those who are kind those who are decent to the cruel will end up being cruel to the decent. Rachel Mitchell stands athwart and against that. Conservative Rachel Mitchell for county attorney. Rachel Mitchell for Maricopa.com is her website. Rachel, I hate to interrupt the work you're doing with these interviews, but it's so important people hear your message. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. It is important that they understand how important this race is. You I betcha. appreciate it. You betcha, Rachel. Go get them and Godspeed. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I ran out of time. I was going to run this by Rachel Mitchell. I see her opponent just got endorsed by the organization NORML, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. This is a George Soros-created entity, um, and uh, her opponent uh, welcomed the endorsement. Um, You know, her opponent said she's going to stop prosecuting uh, stop prosecuting drug laws. Is, is that really what we want in this in this city? Is that what we want in this county? Um, I've looked at the statistics. Uh, they are uh, the vast majority of crimes are committed by people who are on drugs. And it's a weird thing for normal to get involved here uh, when you think about the county attorney's office or indeed the entire state of Arizona. Uh, you 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 can look at the statistics and find that they're just talking rot. We have about twenty five thousand people incarcerated in Arizona. Okay, twenty five thousand. Do you know how many are in there for mar- possession of marijuana? Just the thing normal cares about the the thing that her opponent just got an endorsement for caring about. Do you know how many? One. 
one. There is one person in there for possession of marijuana. You know what I can tell you about that one person? They aren't there for possession of marijuana. It's something they pled down to. My larger point, you, you, can, you can ruin a society with the policies that the progressives are looking for. You have ruined once great, beautiful places. If you are looking for a campaign to spend a little bit of money on or help with that will really matter to your community, look at communities that regret not taking these DA races, these county attorney races seriously. Look at communities that are now doing everything they can to backpedal from these progressive experiments that have ruined lives, ruined families, ruined communities, ruined cities. You can ruin great places. I show you so many cities you have gotten tired of hearing about. Let's make sure Phoenix isn't one of them. Can we do that together? That'll be my pledge if you'll pledge to help me. And Rachel's one of them. There are others, but let's start with Rachel. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.